hello everyone welcome back to another episode of everything grows this is where i really show myself as a true podcaster because i'm having my first two-part series (laughs) this two-part series is called growing up with social media i feel like i wouldn't have been this inspired without social media the first part we're going to be talking about my creative development and how social media has played a part in that we'll kind of go into more detail about your early days with social media we'll cover some traditional media as well and in the second part of this series we're going to go more in detail about post-pandemic content creation and how that's changing the landscape of social media and mainstream media as we know it Without further ado, let's get right on into part one of growing up with social media. I'm covering the positive and negative effects of social media, but I want to start off with where it all began, for me at least. So I'm a 98 baby. That would make me what they call a zillennial. If you do not know what a zillennial is, (laughs) it's basically people who were born three years before the end of the millennial generation or three years into Gen Z. So I'm on the cusp of older Gen Z. But let me just say this. I know that people like to group all of Gen Z together, and I don't think that's right. (laughs) You have to understand, 1997 through 2012, That's a long, long line of years right there. And I feel that people born in 2007 did not have the same experience as me, who was born in 98. So that's why this is going to play a very important part in social media, because the way kids view social media today isn't quite the way we viewed social media back then. I grew up in the early 2000s. One of the first times where I really got to understand pop culture was going to the hair salon to get my hair done. I was about six years old, and if you grew up in the early 2000s, them salons back then had these books, and they probably still got them, but they had these huge books, and you just flip through them and see all these popular hairstyles. And of course, my mom would never let me get them because they weren't for kids, at least not that I know of but and I loved looking through all the pages and kind of seeing what my hair could hopefully be like one day but I would listen to the music that they'd be playing and I think the salon was really the only time where I ever really heard music like Destiny's Child all that like that was where I got to discover what my people were listening to and then I watched TV and you know, sometimes you'd have uh, the Parkers on. If you, if you don't know what the Parkers is, it was a popular black sitcom from the late 90s, early 2000s. By 2003, that's when MySpace came along. And this was around a time when digital cameras coming out. A lot of people had digital cameras and a lot of people would post pictures. They'd upload it using their USB cord, which was a pretty... Um, innovative device back then especially imagine uploading something to your computer wow getting to see my older cousins and older kids in school talk about myspace that made me want to see what it was about i was actually never allowed to 
have any MySpace account. So I did have a Facebook account and I'd hear kids in school talking about MySpace and a lot of them were like six, seven years old. I'm like, how in the world did your mama let you get on there? <laughs> but I mean, you know, at the time, I guess, you know, and also computers. Let's talk, let's talk about computers because computers play an important role in the evolution of social media. As, as well as the iPhone, but the computer itself. If you had a computer in your home, that meant that meant you were like pretty privileged in a sense. But most of us, the only time we were able to access any computer was a public library or the computer lab at school. And a lot of my experiences with social media started in, in the computer lab at school. I created my first Facebook account in 2000, I think it could have been 2008. And that was like a secret account. My parents didn't know about it. (laughs) But um, at the time, computers were starting to get a little bit more advanced. And if you guys remember around this time, like 2008 through 2010, a lot of people were uploading photos similar to what they did with MySpace, but they upload photos from their, their digital cameras that was people's ways of showing, sharing their lives. So we were getting to see people posting every single day. And even kids, they had their webcams. They were posting pictures with peace signs and very atrocious looking filters. <laughs> but that was what we knew as social media back then. So if you compare that to the way, let's say, a preteen season now, it's completely different. They were used completely different. And I would say for me, as far as my creative development, that all began when YouTube came around. YouTube came around, it could have been two thousand between 2007 and 2009. And I had already had a laptop that my mom had. I was very inspired by Disney Channel, of course. I liked the uh, process of storytelling, acting, singing, you know, just showing your talent. So I'd go on and I'd set up the webcam and I'd record myself singing or record a little show, whatever, (laughs) the Faith Pickney show, whatever you want to call it. It was a lot of fun getting to experiment with these new ways of sharing content. And though I did get in trouble for having a Facebook account, which I did delete, <laughs> which I did delete eventually. I w- I really enjoyed YouTube. And I have to give props to YouTube for inspiring a whole generation of kids to share their talents with the world, creations, their passions, all of that. That's where I really got into social media through YouTube. So I, w- I could have been around like 12, 13 by then, by like 2010, 2012. I can't really name off the top of my head some of my favorite content creators at the time, but I I just want to talk about the type of videos that were on YouTube and just how different the YouTube platform was compared to what it is now. As far as commercials go, we didn't have that. If anything, YouTube wasn't even funding its creators. Everyone was just kind of posting just to post. You know, they post something funny. You had people posting makeup tutorials. That's where the makeup tutorial started. 
that was really what set the tone for a lot of trends in social media today. So you have vlogs that were starting to come out uh, by like 2013. You had makeup tutorials that were starting to become a big thing. And this gave way to a new way of creating. And this was the rise of the influencer. We didn't call them influencers back in 2013. We, we just called them YouTubers, right? And Instagram really wasn't at that level yet. So we were only focused on YouTubers. But then Vine came around. Vine came around, it could have been 2013, I believe. But Vine, for me, was really an experience, especially if you were in high school in the early 2010s, the early to mid-2010s, and a lot of influencers started on Vine. I mean, I can name off the top of my head, Liza Koshy, Jay Versace started on Vine. And I remember when Vine was kind of reaching an end, you had a lot of creators trying to figure out how they can monetize their videos. A lot of them migrated to YouTube. I don't know if you guys remember between 2014 and 2016, you had a lot of Viners in LA at this compound living on this street called Vine Street or something like that. I think it's still there today, but that's really where they were all creating videos at. Then Instagram kind of became a bigger deal too after Vine ended. I don't know what it was, but there was like this big boom in influencers out of nowhere. I don't know what it was, but if you hopped on the Instagram train around like 2014, clearly you had to have had some sort of attention because I, until this day, you guys, I still don't understand how these people became famous on Instagram. Instagram was is a very hard app to get like viral on. So the fact that a lot of people were able to get noticed on Instagram, it was still very confusing to me because I, I can't for the life of me understand the algorithm till this day. I don't get it. These people were able to get noticed and they all started creating YouTube videos together. They started collaborating. I'm so used to seeing mainstream celebrities at the forefront of society but now you have like these news articles, you have CNN reporting on these YouTubers. These, and all I have to say is that I do kind of miss this era of social media. That was the last time anything felt normal between 2014 and 2016. Things felt fake, especially when flat tummy tea started becoming a thing. Do y'all remember that? Social media started to feel less and less about just sharing funny videos. And I don't know, this whole era, like 2016 till now, some things really changed. Popular Instagram accounts from 2016, a lot of them are following the same formula. Social media didn't have much representation back then. And I don't know, for me, I think that's why I struggled. I think that's why many black girls struggled around this time because it was already hard trying to find ourselves in traditional television, TV shows, all of that. But then you have social media, which is just another form of media, throwing it in your face that you're not worth being popular. You know, you're not worth the attention. People don't care about black girls. That's what it seemed like. 
And even on Tumblr, which was another important platform at the time, you had a lot of issues on Tumblr. Jeez, I mean, I talked about this in another episode, but Tumblr gave way to a lot of my uh, self-image issues. Many girls dealt with self-image issues because of Tumblr. Things just started becoming unrealistic, and it got out of control. The relatable white girl started to become a very popular model on social media, YouTube especially. If you watched Emma Chamberlain for the past six years, you would know that she was one of the most popular internet creators. And when I say the relatable white girl, I'm talking about like the white girl that tries to make it seem like she doesn't try to try too hard to look pretty all the time. She kind of wears sweats. She low maintenance. If you watched Emma Chamberlain, you'd know that she inspired a lot of like young girls at the time. She was the, the epitome of the Visco girl. Visco is an editing app that a lot of Instagrammers use. I was one of those people that used Visco. It was the aesthetic that made Emma Chamberlain so appealing to her audience. People wanted to be like her. People wanted to post pictures like her. People wanted to act like her. People just, they wanted to be Emma Chamberlain. And you'd see a lot of videos trying to copy her her editing style. I mean, I think her editing style was pretty unique. But as far as her personality, she wasn't the only person <laughs> acting like that online, you know. But um, she got very, very popular. And now she's trying to get away from being known as the relatable white girl because she she's seeing herself just how damaging all of that was. As far as social media for the 2010s, I think there was also Keek. If you guys remember Keek, Keek was similar to Snapchat. I feel like Snapchat stole the idea of Keek, but Keek was the short video platform and a lot of celebrities would go in there and post videos. I think Bella Hadid, Gigi Hadid, they were posting videos, these very random videos, but everyone loved them because they were just authentic and funny. I feel like everybody was being funny back then. That's the thing, right? That's really where social media went wrong. Everybody wanted to stop having a personality. I remember I was morphing myself into this Instagram girl and I wanted to fit my feet a certain way. Absolutely nothing wrong with aesthetics. But at the time, that's what I liked and I was very obsessive with it. Like I wanted my Instagram to be worthy of attention. I put a lot of thought into every post that I did. And if it didn't fit my feet, I delete it. I think aesthetics can help you express yourself. But when you really start obsessing over aesthetics and just appearing and just appearing as a different person, that's where you really go wrong on social media. That's where I went wrong. I'll say it. Yeah. Like, I mean, I cared about likes. I cared about followers. I mean, yeah, I was, I was like 16, 17, 18 years old. I was just wanting to have fun and be noticed on social media. That's really what I wanted. And that's really all I cared about. It inspired me a lot. I'll say that. I came to the conclusion that I want to create just like these people. And I want to do my best at it. That's where this has led me today. I mean, YouTubers. I mean, I think about Jackie Ina, one of the most popular black beauty gurus on the internet. 
If anything, she was really one of the only ones who was really getting attention at the time. But she's opened so many doors for Black beauty gurus. Social media was not always this inclusive. I think after everything that happened with George Floyd, there's been a shift. I don't want to touch too much on it because that'll kind of spoil the next episode. Everyone had to be more aware of what they were doing. If you look back to the 2010s, everybody was getting canceled. If they found your old tweets, you were done. I'm trying to think of like a big cancellation. I think of James Charles. I think of James Charles. He says some like pretty racist stuff, but people were looking up his old tweets. (laughs) Who else was getting canceled back then? Every beauty guru on YouTube. (laughs) Let me tell you something. I was not a big beauty fan or whatever but best believe i was watching them t channels trying to figure out what was going on this week with the beauty community social media became a very hateful place everybody wanted in on those opportunities but i'm just happy that we've reached a point where we know that wasn't what social media should be like no i think everyone needs to think for themselves absolutely and everyone just needs to know When it's time to separate yourself from the crowd. I haven't even mentioned Twitter. Twitter is a very powerful platform. And um, of course, it's important to watch what you tweet. But also, it's important to stand strong in what you believe in. I don't think everyone's going to agree on everything. Best believe, I'm going to hold my tongue. And that's why I've kind of just been absent from Twitter lately. I have realized that me feeding into negativity every day doesn't feed my soul. So to kind of conclude my thoughts on my creative development, I now understand that in order for me to create and be happy with it, it all has to start in my heart. That's where social media went wrong in the 2010s. Nobody was really doing it from the heart. Everybody wanted to find that validation. I feel like we're reaching a point where people are starting to show their authentic selves again. So we're kind of going back to the basics, kind of of what drew people to social media in the first place. And we need to work on creating a more healthy environment, a healthy community. And my hope is moving forward. We can just change the way we treat people on social media. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Everything Grows. Make sure to check back next week for part two of my Growing Up With social media series. There is a possibility that there may be a part three. We're not quite sure. We'll see what next week brings. But I want to thank you guys so much. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Make sure to follow Everything Grows on Instagram at Everything Grows Podcast to keep up with me as always. But I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. Always remember that everything grows in its own time. Check back next week. See you later. Bye.